has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Multimodal analgesia is an alternative to opioids that uses more than one medication or technique for pain relief while reducing post-operative opioid requirements or side effects. An extended-release non-opioid medication that treats post-operative pain and inflammation is on the market. It's called Zinrelief. The solution contains bupivacaine, a local anesthetic, and meloxicam, an anti-inflammatory. They're applied without a needle directly into the surgical site. Like all medications, there are side effects. In this case, Zinrelief contains a low dose of the NSAID, that is the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, meloxicam, a type of medicine which can increase the risk of heart attack or stroke that can lead to death. This risk increases with higher doses and longer use of an NSAID, cannot be used during heart bypass surgery, and can increase the risk of gastrointestinal bleeding, ulcers, and tears. Our guest today is pharmacist Dr. Kevin Warner. He's the director of pharmaceutical sciences for osteotherapeutics. We'll talk to him about the state of postoperative pain care, the shift from opioid use to multimodal analgesia, and how the dual-acting medication called Zinrelief is reducing postoperative pain without opioids. Aches and Gains is supported by Averitas Pharma, Daiichi Sankyo, and Heron Therapeutics. Dr. Warner is a clinical staff pharmacist at Covenant Healthcare, a teaching hospital in Michigan. He is also a home infusion pharmacist for Covenant Healthcare and My Michigan Health, a University of Michigan affiliate. Dr. Warner, welcome to the show. Good morning, doctor. Talk to us first about postoperative pain control. Postoperative pain is often the number one concern of surgical patients. They come to us, and their number one reason for coming to us is something hurts, doc. <laughs> but they're also scared at the same time, and they want to know, what are you going to do for me right. during this process, and am I going to be comfortable? Um, but in general, our, our foundation of our pain management at the hospitals and surgical centers start with many over-the-counter products, such as Tylenol or NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen, or naproxen. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, obviously, we have agents that are off-label. We wouldn't necessarily consider them pain products originally, such as antidepressants or gabapentinoids, mm-hmm. but we're often including those now. Anything we can do to help minimize the use of opioids for our patients, we're trying to incorporate into our protocols. You know, a poorly managed post-operative pain can lead to many different problems like decreased quality of life, longer recovery time, and a higher risk of complications following surgery. Now, uh, Kevin, how has the use of opioids for post-operative pain control affected the opioid crisis? We know the extent, the severity, and the duration of that acute pain 
can lead into chronic pain, chronic long-term debilitating pain for that patient that they have to live with for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. So in order to control that pain, even understanding the risks of opioids, our providers will still provide a certain number of opioid prescriptions, and they still serve a role in the management, especially in post-operative pain or in trauma patients. Uh, the Joint Commission, one of the accrediting bodies for many institutions across the nation, um, they have an opioid stewardship initiative, and one of their primary goals within it is to keep opioid-naive patients opioid-naive. Every day that you take that opioid, increase your risk of becoming a chronic user. Um, so it's important to try to minimize the opioids so we don't have that major impact on the opioid crisis and create those long-term users. In fact, some data from 2019 showed that if a patient continuously uses an opioid for just four to five days, the risk that that patient would be using that opioid at one year was over 40%, and the risk that patient would be using that opioid at three years was somewhere over, I think, 20%. Now, let me ask you about the CDC guideline. You know, the, the guideline from 2016 recommended just three to seven days of a prescription opioid for acute pain. I mean, it's not that much, but they were concerned about patients accumulating too many unused pills. To what degree is that happening for patients with postoperative pain? Um, so about 33 million opioid prescriptions are prescribed each year here in the United States, so hundreds of millions of tablets. And around 80% of those patients report unused tablets remaining after the prescription. Wow. Just as you know how an acute injury happens, and usually that first couple of days, usually that next morning when you wake up after you roll your ankle or something, it really hurts. So three to seven days doesn't sound like a whole lot, but mm-hmm. we've all been through a pain process before. And are you in severe pain? Are you in debilitating pain? And that's kind of the threshold that we look at in making those recommendations to say, how many days should this patient really be leaning on an opioid versus just our scheduled OTC products to help control their pain? Now, in addition to being concerned about unused pills that patients have following surgery, we're also concerned about other people in the household accessing opioids like children and young adults. As a matter of fact, from 2004 to 2011, there was a 225% increase in emergency room admissions for accidental prescription opioid ingestion by children who were five years of age and younger. I definitely think this might be an unintended downstream consequence of having an oversupply of opioids in the postoperative period. Yeah, I 100% agree. And so we do need to prescribe a certain amount of opioids, but definitely the amount that we're prescribing currently is over the current guidelines in many situations. It's definitely a danger sitting in the cabinet. Um, We hear the the horror stories and we see it in our ERs all across the nation, just as you alluded to. Mm -hmm. Get rid of those opioid prescriptions when they're complete. When your acute process is done, don't save it for later, save it for a rainy day. So look for those drug take-back programs in your community when you can drop off the opioids for appropriate destruction or just do appropriate destruction at your home facility there. Yes, there are federal take-back programs. And also, you know, I recommend to my patients, especially uh, who have chronic pain, to keep a lockbox in the home and contain those controlled substances. Keep them away from those who are in the house. Kevin, talk to us about what the surgeons are providing for post-operative pain relief at your hospital, Covenant Healthcare. Um, but we've been working on our MMA protocols for, for decades now. That is multimodal analgesia protocol. Multiple medications with multiple mechanisms of action to get our optimal analgesic effect. Mm-hmm. At Covenant, we've been utilizing our multimodal protocol to minimize post-surgical opioids for our patients for quite some time. 
So it starts with appropriate consultation with your physician and then setting up your plan as far as medical therapy management and physical therapy for that pain process and rehab after the surgical procedure. Okay. We start preemptively. So we consider that three to five days prior to their surgery. We have our patients start on scheduled acetaminophen and scheduled um, Celebrex. So when that cut happens, when that surgery happens, we have maximum suppression of the entire pain response already there, already present. We still give them the preoperative just in case they weren't compliant with their preemptive. Yep. They get their preoperative, multimodal, Tylenol, and Celebrex. We also use gabapentinoids in our major joint procedures, uh, specifically total knee arthroplasty. Now, many professional societies also advocate reducing the exposure to opioids after surgery. What else does Covenant Healthcare do in terms of medications that are used during the surgery or other techniques that are opioid-sparing during the surgery? Uh, we do regional blockades, spinal blockades, or general anesthesia in many cases. But for a total knee, for example, we'll do a spinal along with a regional adductor canal block mm -hmm. along with local infiltration analgesia. Or we now utilize a product called Zinrelief, which is a combination of bupivacaine and meloxicam. Um, so Zinrelief got FDA approved last year. We incorporated it into our multimodal protocol last September uh, as part of a, a need, basically. Uh, we're looking at moving to more of a same-day discharge model and transitioning patients out of the hospital quicker. We looked at the trials, looked at the data, and post-operative pain directly affects discharge readiness. So mm -hmm. with the local infiltration of Zinrelief, we saw in their trial, their TKA trial, that 80% of their patients were discharge ready at 24 hours. Now you mentioned TKA trial, that's total knee arthroplasty, also known as total knee replacement trial. You mentioned 80%, you know, more than 80% of patients experience pain during the acute post-operative period. And patients have the most severe pain during the first 72 hours after surgery. Why is this period generally the most painful? That first 72 hours, kind of like we touched on earlier, when you make, wake up the morning after, generally is associated with inflammation at the site, carrying those cytokines, interleukins, leukotrienes, all those neurotransmitters that your body's responding to this acute insult, mm -hmm. um, this inflammation uh, leads to that pain and that most painful process. As you dwindle and desensitize to the pain, you return usually to your baseline at that 72-hour mark is what we see. Now, local anesthetics are often used to control pain. These are medications like lidocaine and bupivacaine. I certainly use them in my practice, and surgeons use them by injecting them into the operative site. How long do local anesthetics typically last? Something like lidocaine might last two to four hours bupivacaine and ropivacaine, they, they last about six to eight hours. Mm -hmm. Our analgesic activity still persists beyond that six to eight hours. Some will quote it as about eight to 12 hours. Yeah, good point. You know, we really haven't developed many non-opioids for post-operative pain relief yet. Have you found that opioids often fill that gap uh, in centers across the country? At our institution, one thing we do, we use pain score directed therapy. So mm -hmm. meaning this helps guide our nurses when it's appropriate to give an opioid. Pain scores 7, 8, 9, and 10, that's when they give that opioid to fill that gap. Undeniably, it does still happen though that these patients are going to be in severe pain. So one of the things at our institution that we rolled out to help fill that gap 
was Zen Relief that we started touching on previously in our MMA protocol. Now, Kevin, can Zen Relief also be used for pediatric surgeries? They do have a, a study on clinicaltrials.gov registered. Um, so when they begin enrolling and publishing, I'm sure we'll, we'll hear about pediatric use, but right now it is for adults only. Okay, well, more to come. Listen, we're up for a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about the purpose of the meloxicam in Zen Relief. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Adveritas Pharma, leading the U.S. in non-opioid pain management for certain pain conditions, while continuously seeking to deliver innovations for patients to improve patient outcomes. Visit us at A-V-E-R-I-T-A-S-Pharma.com an educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Kevin Warner, a clinical staff pharmacist at Covenant Healthcare, which is a teaching hospital in Michigan. Kevin, talk to us about the meloxicam component in Zen Relief. The purpose of the meloxicam actually is, is quite unique. Uh, the meloxicam is actually there to maintain the pH of the surgical site. After surgery, it drops significantly, becoming very acidotic. In Zen Relief's case, the meloxicam maintains the pH at physiological pH, as seen in some animal models. This allows the bupivacam then to be released from the polymer in a controlled fashion over that 72 hours and remain unionized. Um, so this is the kind of the secret sauce of the, the synergy there. Okay. So during an injury or after surgery, the surgical site becomes acidotic, which is a buildup of acid in the tissues. That's because of inflammation that occurs. When that happens, the local anesthetics like bupivacaine can't adequately penetrate nerve cells for pain relief. Whereas this particular product using meloxicam allows the bupivacaine to penetrate nerve cells much more effectively and thereby reduce pain. Perfectly said. So it's allowing and enabling the bupivacaine to continue to work. And this mechanism is kind of what we're doing here to maintain that pH, to keep the efficacy of that bupivacaine and allow it to have its effect on the sodium channel. Right. Bupivacaine and other local anesthetics are called sodium channel blockers. That is, they reduce the nerve cell's excitability, which then prevents the nerve cell from transmitting painful impulses. Now, Kevin, talk to us about the Michigan Non-Opioid Directive. It's a form for patients to fill out that explains that they do not want to be exposed to opioids or receive opioids during the course of their care. Okay. Uh, so part of this directive is putting this in their medical record by them signing off on this form so it's there, so all the providers and taking care of them are aware that this patient wants to avoid opioids at all costs. Okay. You know, now let's talk about Zen Relief in more depth. There have been several clinical studies on Zen Relief to investigate its ability to reduce pain intensity while reducing or even eliminating opioid use. That term is called opioid sparing. One of the studies comparing Zen Relief to bupivacaine alone and to meloxicam alone showed that after bunionectomy, Zen Relief was associated with better and sustained pain relief through 72 hours. What other kinds of surgeries has the FDA approved Zen Relief for? Small to medium open abdominal, uh, lower extremity total joint arthroplasties, which would be total hip, total knee, total ankle, and foot and ankle procedures. Um, they're currently in clinical studies for shoulder and abdominal plasty. 
and then they also have a spinal surgery. Okay, now they've done specific studies in patients, for example, with hernia, with bunion, and who've needed a total knee replacement. What have they shown about opioid use postoperatively? This was the first product um, approved by the FDA that got the extended release label, and this is the first product to beat bupivacaine after 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so across all three trials, both bony procedures and the soft tissue procedure, they met the statistical significance for pain score reduction and opioid reduction at across 12, 24, 48, and 72 hours, even if you excluded the first 24 hours. Wow. Okay. Now, you know, we're talking about multimodal analgesia using Zin relief along with acetaminophen or ibuprofen, for example, to improve pain relief and at the same time reduce post-operative opioids or their side effects. So what kind of a difference in managing pain have the surgeons, anesthesiologists noticed with this uh, dual-acting local anesthetic? Um, So the Zen Relief is even a superior product in that first 12 hours and 24 hours when you want to get that patient home. So that leads us to faster discharge home, which in today's economic climate and model, we're looking for anything we can do to do more same-day surgeries get patients comfortable when they awake after surgery, mm-hmm. get them to that first physical therapy, willingness to participate. So Zen Relief was helping us do that as far as length of stay. And then we get the minimization of the side effects to also because these patients aren't taking opioids. So they're not getting the nausea, the constipation, the urinary retention. All right, terrific. Listen, after the break, we'll talk to Kevin about whether Zen Relief is covered by insurance. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Heron Therapeutics, whose mission is to improve the lives of patients by developing best-in-class medicines that address unmet medical needs. They aim to advance the standard of care for patients through therapies that bring together science and technologies with well-known pharmacology to deliver medicines that matter. Welcome back. We're talking about a new extended release uh, non-opioid medication that treats post-operative pain and inflammation, and it's called Zin Relief. Kevin, talk to us about whether Zin Relief is covered by insurance. Because of their breakthrough technology, they have what's known as pass-through status, meaning it's reimbursed by Medicare for all your same-day discharge patients. Okay. They also have 340B status, mm-hmm. which is a, a discount program uh, available to certain institutions. We are one of those institutions. Um, for us, it was a break-even on cost versus a generic cocktail. Okay. So in many cases, the cost for Zen Relief is either $0 or profitable to the institution. Otherwise, it's very reasonable price compared to the competitor product. Now, Kevin, how do surgeons actually apply the medication to the surgical site? I mean, it doesn't use a needle, correct? Yeah, so it's pretty intuitive. It's drawn up in the sterile syringes that are all contained within the kit mm-hmm. and then instilled into the wound based on the size of the anatomical space is how much they will instill. Right. Um, they do have great videos on Heron Therapeutics' website as far as the administration of Zen Relief into the various surgical sites and best practices for each surgical site and where the major nerves are. So a lot of the PAs and MPs within the surgical setting are actually doing the application process while the surgeon is finishing up elsewhere. And I'll add that it's just a one-time application during the surgery, and it releases slowly over 72 hours. If patients have liver or kidney disease, can surgeons still use in relief because a certain amount of these medications will be absorbed into the bloodstream? They have that black box warning that is on the package insert because it contains meloxicam. Mm-hmm. Our opinion is that we would still, our benefits are going to outweigh the risk for the single one-time dose to be able to utilize Zen relief 
just like we do with our perioperative NSAIDs. If our patient had kidney disease, as long as it wasn't advanced, meaning CKD4 or higher, we still go ahead with giving our scheduled Celebrex or our scheduled Meloxicam to those patients, mm-hmm. but it's always going to be an individual provider's decision for that his risk tolerance. Now, if patients experience any side effects, what are they likely to notice? For the most common things seen were constipation, vomiting, and headache, much like we'd see in, in most surgical patients. And any problems with wound healing? There was nothing that was statistically different. Um, they did note it in a couple of studies, um, but nothing that stood out statistically significant. And that's kind of what we look for when we look at these side effects. That's right. A recent study in patients having a hernia repair used in relief along with over-the-counter analgesics like ibuprofen and acetaminophen. Tell us about that study. Yeah, so that study was the, the HOPE trial. Um, it's a trial that I would encourage uh, people to take a look at and implement into practice based on the algorithm they used to determine if they were going to send patients home with opioid analgesics or not. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty, pretty unique, but pretty simple algorithm. In the study here, they showed 95% of patients went home and were opioid-free through 15 days. Wow. Pretty amazing when you consider in a hernia. And here in the United States, over 80% of patients get an opioid script. So this is a total paradigm switch as far as what they were doing for these patients. Yes, it was a paradigm shift. That was actually a real-world trial called Helping Opioid Prescription Elimination, known as the HOPE trial, which showed that most patients didn't require an opioid for postoperative pain control following hernia surgery. Are other hospitals using Zen Relief in the United States? Yes, definitely all across the nation here in Michigan. I think more and more are coming on. This provides us something we never had before, that analgesia beyond that first 12 or 18 hours that is so critically important to the recovery of our patient. Exactly right. And finally, what's important for us to remember about Zen Relief and post-operative pain? Post-operative pain is more than just pain and patient satisfaction. I think we have to look at things like their functional outcomes, their risk of developing long-term chronic debilitating pain, Mm -hmm. and how important it is to control that acute pain process. So Zen Relief is kind of that tool for us that we can implement as part of our multimodal analgesia protocol Mm -hmm. and help minimize or even eliminate in many surgical procedures the need for post-operative opioids, subsequently reducing our length of stays, hopefully reduce the number of opioids on the street, the overall opioid epidemic, reduce the number of those patients that become chronic or persistent opioid users. Do you think this is a replacement for anything? Don't think of it as necessarily a replacement product. Currently, in our paradigm, along with our multimodal analgesia protocol, we still do local infiltration with 50 milligrams of ropivacaine in addition to the Zen Relief that we use along with our ACB, along with our spinal. Mm-hmm. But the safe pharmacokinetic profile of Zen Relief allows for that. It's got a very stable release pattern, so we're not concerned about last effects because the overall exposure is still very minimal to that patient, especially in that first 12 hours, even out through 24 hours, uh-huh. allowing us to provide that additional benefit when all of our other agents are spinal and our regional block all start wearing off at 12 to 18 hours and that patient is left with nothing and they're sitting in our pack you're on the floor and we want to get them discharged controlling the pain for that patient allowing them more appropriate recovery mm-hmm. and joint cocktails like rack or similar combinations i would say are considered current standard of care for total joint arthroplasties However, for AAOS guidelines, only two modalities other than the anesthetic receive moderate level recommendations mm-hmm. for inclusion. That is a corticosteroid or an NSAID. Many of these cocktails perceived benefits are based on conflicting trial results with modest possible benefits, but also should be noted they carry additional potential side effects that often require perioperative intervention. Wow. The cocktails have been developed to theoretically provide synergistic 
and extended analgesia beyond what just a local anesthetic can typically achieve. By replacing our joint cocktail with Zinrelief and a low dose of ropivacaine, we're still able to get the benefits of local infiltration analgesia, mm-hmm. but are able to provide an FDA-approved extended release modality to provide extended analgesia for our patients in that critical time period up to 72 hours that is often the most painful and impacts the long-term functional outcomes. Dr. Warner, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Ty Ford. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.